0: Hey, it's Gregory here, and before we start the show, we want to know who you are, what stories you want to hear, and what you like about the show. So please go to npr.org slash podcast survey to complete a short survey. We want to hear from everyone, even if you're a brand-new listener. So that's npr.org slash podcast survey, all one word. And thanks. You're listening to Rough Translation from NPR. A warning, this episode contains graphic descriptions of violence, and it mentions self-harm. It may not be appropriate for everyone.
1: That's when I remember all the traffic, civilian traffic next to us, screeched to a halt, and then boom. Last time on Rough Translation's home front. And they're like, Sergeant can you wiggle your toes? And <laughs> I chuckled, and I said, with all due respect, sir, if I could wiggle my toes, we wouldn't be in this predicament.
2: I was so impressed with his determination. He was very positive. I tried
1: uh, to use some of my best lines on Alicia I told her I'd, I'd die for her.
2: She said, "I'll die for you." It's like you're a soldier. You will die for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and then he started to train me. Now I have to drive around with a military vest with ceramic plates on. We got a lot of looks, (laughs) a lot of looks. I didn't marry this man to go, to just be like that. I wanted stability. And I asked Matt, what are we doing? Like, why?
0: This is Homefront from Rough Translation. I'm Gregory Warner. We're continuing the story of Alicia and Matt Lammers, And if you don't know who I'm talking about, you might want to go back and listen to the previous episode called Battle Rattle. That episode tells the story of how Matt, at age 25, became a triple amputee in an explosion in Iraq. His wife, Alicia, hoped to help him re-enter civilian life. Instead, she found herself pulled into Matt's vigilante patrols. She ended that by getting them both out of Houston. In this episode, we find Matt and Alicia back in Tucson where Alicia starts to notice a pattern. And it leads her to wonder, what if you're the only one who sees a pattern in the behavior of the person you love? But talking about that pattern feels like betrayal. Here's Quill Lawrence.
3: We're going to rejoin Matt and Alicia on the edge of a swimming pool in Tucson, Arizona. Matt Lammers, Army veteran, is in his wheelchair looking down at the water.
1: I was just trying to come up with a strategy of how I was going to do it. I didn't want to die. I didn't want to drown. Because Uh, that
4: was a possibility.
3: I'm here with Rough Translation producer Jess Chang.
1: I guess realistically it was, but I knew I wasn't going to let that happen.
2: He's just like, let me see if I can swim. And I'm like, please don't do that. If something happens to you, I can't jump in the water and get you. I can't do that. I can't swim.
3: In typical Matt style, he's going in without a life jacket or really any kind of plan.
2: He's like, no, nothing's going to happen to me.
3: You'd never tried. (laughs) I mean, you rolled up and then scrambled down in, or how'd you get in? Um,
1: I think I jumped from the wheelchair that night. She held the wheelchair. I just dove. Mm -hmm. He's
2: in the wheelchair and put it right on the edge, and he just jumped. (laughs) (laughs) And he sinks. I was like... (gasps) Please come on. Please come on. Do not try this
3: at home. Yeah. Oh, my God. But then he figures out some way to use his one arm, and he just swims.
2: You're swimming like a dolphin. Whew. Beautiful!
3: There's this video of Matt that Alicia took a few months later. And it's really something to watch. That bubbling sound is because Alicia is sitting in the hot tub recording, while Matt's at the edge of the pool. Matt's looking down at the water with this focused expression, like a gymnast about to do a, a tough move, like a triple backflip. First, he drops and spins on his arm down from his wheelchair to the concrete deck. Another twirl over the edge of the pool. And on the third turn, he's in.
1: Not you, too shabby.
2: You're awesome. I love you. I love you. going up and down up and down for two hours straight non-stop no breaks
1: it was fun what i love about swimming i don't rely on any prosthetics or wheelchairs or any assistive devices and it feels so freeing just be able to move myself from point a to point b i get in the zone and just think about oh what should we watch for a movie tonight what's for dinner just swim back and forth and before i know it, i'm done
2: Um, I took him to swim every day, even though I don't know how to swim. uh, It doesn't matter. I train him because he helps us both. If he's physically active uh, and is helping his mental health, it helps the family. That's how I see it.
1: How's everybody feeling out there? Anybody happy
3: to be here? Matt eventually got trained up enough to compete in the Warrior Games.
1: Our athletes today are classified into one of seven divisions based on their body's functionality. Come on, folks, make some noise. We're
3: about to kick and off. he wins a bunch of medals.
1: And the number one position, Matt Lammers from the Army. Oh.
2: I sit there on the deck and I count all the laps and the time, and I do that in 110 degrees in Arizona. I did it in the winter in 20-degree weather and with my coat just counting laps. Um, These goals became my goals.
3: When Alicia was a kid growing up in Sonora, Mexico, her mom was the person in her neighborhood who knew how to give injections. So people would buy their medicine, they'd bring it to her mom, and she'd give them the jab. Her mom never charged a penny, and she told Alicia, getting the opportunity to help someone is a blessing. When Alicia came to the U.S., she trained as a certified nurse's assistant and started working with terminally ill patients. She burned out on that work, so she ended up in retail. But helping Matt felt like she was back in that spirit of service, something she could be proud of. And then the Department of Veterans Affairs gave her an official title. Tell me, when, when did you first hear about the caregiver program?
2: I heard about the caregiver program through a Matt social worker in Houston, Texas. They let him know that he could have a caregiver, and it could be anyone he wanted. And so he said, well, I want Alicia.
3: The VA launched this caregiver program in 2011. And it was a way to pay caregivers really for the work they're already doing. This way, Alicia doesn't have to worry about trying to hold down a full-time job while she's taking care of Matt.
2: They asked me what I do for him and how he needed help. We signed some paperwork, and that was pretty much it.
3: With the caregiver stipend from the VA, Alicia didn't have to juggle shifts at the Bed, Bath, and Beyond anymore. She could focus on Matt's needs and do things like take him to the pool every morning which is great for his physical health, but also his mental health. Except Matt seemed to be taking it to extremes.
2: He was swimming every day. He was swimming a mile to three miles, five miles in one day. And it was all about swimming, 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 swimming. And he's thinking that this is his life. The way he was a soldier, now he's a swimmer. And it was making me uncomfortable.
3: Matt would get mad if he'd glance up from his swimming and see her reading a book instead of counting his laps.
2: So he thought that I was missing count. And he would be very angry and frustrated. So I was like, wait a second. He wants me to just look at him? Was he swimming for three hours? Can you imagine every day, three hours just looking at the pool just so you can click every single time he does a lap?
3: It reminded her of sitting in the passenger seat for hours on those armed patrols he'd take her on in Houston.
2: So one day it was driving to nowhere, patrolling the city, and then the next year it's just swim, 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 swim. It was too much.
3: There were other behaviors, too, that worried her. He wasn't sleeping. He would forget things like what he had for dinner the night before, and he would go on spending sprees.
2: Matt going to a gas station... And in 15 minutes, he'll spend $300. It's three aisles. And he'll spend $300 there.
3: One day, she took Matt to a neurologist for his insomnia.
2: And then the doctor said certain things uh, like insomnia are very common in patients with brain injury. And I'm like, brain injury? Like, this is the first time I heard of that.
3: So she goes home and looks up the VA paperwork that marks all of Matt's disabilities.
2: And on the first page, you have, he's a burn victim, and it tells you how much percentage of burns on his body. It tells you he has PTSD, it tells you 100% disability for both legs above the knee, and then the arm above the elbow. And his brain injury is not on the list. So I was like, why a brain injury is not here?
3: While Matt was deployed, neither the military nor the VA were on top of just how many thousands of troops were coming home with undiagnosed traumatic brain injuries, TBIs. But by 2014, when Alicia is finding this out, TBIs were all over the news. The VA and the military were studying it.
2: So I asked the VA and they told me, well, he's not going to get more than 100%. He's already 100%.
3: She says the VA told her he already had the maximum benefit.
2: Well, that's not the point. The point is, it's not on the list of diagnosis.
3: The person she's talking with at the VA thinks she's trying to claim more benefits. But Alicia just wants to get Matt the right treatment.
2: I was so desperate. I was just buying every book that will say brain injury or how to reset your brain or how to make your brain better, how to change your diet to improve your memory. Uh, I have all kinds of books around. But if the veteran is not willing to do what the book said, it's just a book that you went through. You don't know if it's going to work or not because they didn't do it.
3: She tried to get Matt to go to therapy, but he said... That was too much of a trigger. She wanted him to get a brain scan, but he said he was afraid of hospitals. Every three months, Alicia would get a call from the VA caregiver program. The coordinator would ask her a set of questions, always the same questions. It was a survey Do you feel safe? Are you taking care of yourself? Do you have any immediate goals? What are the veterans' short term goals? She told them about these symptoms the loss of memory, the binge spending, the excessive workouts.
2: They're telling me, make sure you schedule him for a psychiatrist appointment, but I cannot just schedule the veteran to a place that he doesn't want to go.
3: It's interesting. Alicia doesn't say she can't schedule Matt for an appointment. She says, I can't schedule the veteran.
2: Well, I think I'm calling him the veteran because I I know that there is way more veterans that are going through the same thing. So it's a veteran issue. It's... This happened, and my experience happened to be Matt.
3: She would remind herself, Matt's not alone. Thousands of veterans were wounded in these wars, and many of them needed their loved ones to help them. She wanted to do her part.
2: I didn't want to be the quitter. I didn't want to be the one who just looked for an easy way out. I didn't want to be that person.
0: Rough translations, home front. Back after this break.
3: This message comes from NPR sponsor Indeed, a job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews, according to Talent Nest. Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com rough. Terms and conditions apply.
4: What happens to police officers who get caught stealing, lying, or tampering with evidence? Each week, we open up an internal affairs investigation that used to be secret to find out how well the police police themselves. Listen to On Our Watch, a podcast from NPR and KQED.
3: We're back with Rough Translation's Homefront. I'm Quill Lawrence. While Alicia's been telling us about her struggles with Matt, Matt is sitting right next to her, listening.
1: What's your memory of that time like? I know she's always working behind the scenes, but I didn't know that all that was going on. I... <laughs> I'm learning stuff today. It was shortly after the Warrior Games, and it was approaching my first Alive Day, which was around September, 8th September.
3: An Alive Day is the anniversary of the day that you almost died in war. So it was right before the first time he almost died in Iraq.
1: I got a phone call that two of my friends had committed suicide the same day, and so I just immediately broke down. I started crying. I was kind of in limbo. Um, I didn't want to be here at the time anymore but I wasn't ready to pass on. So I was just going back and forth like a ping pong. But I knew that suicide's the final option. There's no backing out of that.
3: Matt's spells of sadness would often turn into anger.
2: He broke a glass, a very thick glass on his own head and he was bleeding because, you know, heads have so many vessels and they bleed and bleed. So I thought that he was in danger at that point. I called the police because I thought he was out of control.
1: She did the right thing. She was calling for uh, the police. They had people to come out not to arrest you. They have people to come out and just talk you through um, an episode or a hard time.
3: Matt says this now, but at the time, he was angry that she had told anyone about his behavior. He felt betrayed. And they were still arguing when the cops showed up.
2: They asked Matt to stay in the house and ask me to leave the house for the night and I didn't have any money, where am I going to go? So I had to sleep in a cold weather in the car and this happened three times.
3: Each time Alicia called the cops, their response was a cooling off period.
2: But because he's a disabled veteran, he's the one who stayed on the apartment and had to sleep in the car. So I learned from that too. I was like, well, every time I call the cops, they just ask me to leave the house. I don't want to do that.
3: <laughs> when the three months rolled around and Alicia got a call from the coordinator at the VA caregiver program, Alicia did not tell them about Matt's suicidal thoughts. She felt it should be up to him to share that. And Matt's still refusing to get therapy.
2: So I doing a 101. A 101 is a care you do with someone that is suicidal. So they assign one healthcare provider to be with this person 24-7. Every 15 minutes you have to write down what that person's doing. Cause that person may kill themselves in a the blink of an eye. So it's called 101 care.
3: Alicia had done this work as a certified nurses assistant, though usually it's done in shifts by a whole team of healthcare providers. Alicia decided to take it on alone.
2: So I was doing a one-on-one for 24 hours, three days straight. So when were you sleeping? I wasn't sleeping. I'll be just sitting up and like kind of drifting off. And when I noticed that he will try to sleep, then I try to sleep a little bit. And then I'm, we had a water bed. So if the water may move, then I'll be up again. Yeah, I drink a lot of water. Cause you drink a lot of water during the night, like drink. 12 ounces of water straight in an hour you want to wake up because your bladder will wake you up. (laughs) That's how you're keeping yourself from sleeping too long. Mm -hmm. So I did that for like three, four days when it was worse. And then it started getting better because it goes in cycles. And he felt guilty about trying to attempt suicide and then things get better and then back to suicidal mode. It was just a whole horrible cycle.
3: Alicia wanted to know... What was triggering the angry outbursts, the thoughts of suicide?
2: Is it the time of the year? The weather? You know, is it the pain? Because pain will make you cranky.
3: She started to keep a journal. At first she wrote in Spanish, but Matt got mad and said, you're writing about me. So she came up with a system he wouldn't
2: notice. I created a calendar, which I started to put a little tiny mark he was a little star whenever he did something that was out of the ordinary.
3: At the end of the month, she'd look at all the little stars and she'd try to find clues.
2: I just thought in my mind, maybe there is a pattern. And if I find the pattern, you know, bingo! I will know which days were good and which days were not.
3: And Alicia did find patterns.
2: I noticed that the week before his adoption day, when he came to America, like a few days before and a few days after that day, those days he acts up the most.
3: Another trigger was his birthday in March and his two alive days in June and September. And then the whole period between Thanksgiving and Valentine's Day. Alicia called that the winter blues.
2: He also has external triggers. Rude people, people looking at him weird, pointing at him. Traffic, that's another trigger. Uh, Being a passenger.
3: In Iraq, the two times he was almost killed, Matt was in a passenger seat. So Alicia thought that might be why riding as a passenger gave him such anxiety, such anger. At the time, Alicia kept this journal of Matt's triggers a secret from him. And there were lots of things he wanted her to keep secret from everyone. But now...
2: Um, How much can we talk? Everything?
3: Whatever you want to, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Matt gives his permission. It's okay for her to tell everything. But it's still not easy for him to hear this stuff. While Alicia is telling this story, Matt keeps going out for cigarette breaks. At one point, he goes out on the porch and stays there. I go out there with him. Jess stays back with Alicia.
4: When Matt's out of the room, her stories take a darker edge. Alicia tells me about a rescue dog that she and Matt adopted. She was a sweetheart, um, Ginger.
2: And then, um, so Matt went through that depression. And right after that depression, he became more violent and started yelling at Ginger. And Ginger was old. So it will take Ginger an extra effort to go and get a, a little snack and he'll snap because she didn't came fast or she he snapped because Ginger didn't want to get on the truck, you know, and things like that. Her and I went through a lot. And every time Matt snapped, we both locked ourselves in a closet and we were more like, oh my God, I hope this passed quick cuz he was just like throwing things around the house punching holes on the walls he was just like a cage animal just angry and at the very beginning of this episode he'll tell me i'm not angry of you i just see everything red i'm just angry and um so uh, one day he wasn't sleeping too good so he started to hit ginger and so I get up early in the morning and I grab Ginger because he told me that the night before that he'll kill her the next day. So I took her to to the um, doggy shelter. And um, I cry a lot. I cry a lot. Were, were you afraid of Matt at that point? Yes, I was. Yes. Because I was kind of blaming on myself. I didn't know how I'm going to trigger this man next and how he's going to react. Because every time was so different and it was escalating. So, yes, Ginger was afraid of Matt and I was afraid of Matt.
4: This whole time we've been talking, Alicia has been knitting. You can hear the sound of her needles. She's making these red, white, and blue American flag shawls, which she sells on Etsy. And at first I think it's just a hobby to earn some extra money. But she tells me, no. I need something to
2: distract my mind. So some people meditate. I don't know how to meditate, but I'll be like, I'm knitting and trying to think of something that makes you happy. Think of my childhood, I had a good childhood, I had a good stepdad, I had a great dad. You're distracting your brain. You're keeping your hands busy with anxiety is very useful because you feel like, you know, you gotta do something or, you know, because if you go outside and you get involved in that war, then you're trapped. Mm -hmm. Then you just end up losing yourself. And I was very close to
4: losing myself many times. She says that with Ginger gone, Matt started throwing things at her. He pointed a gun at her. She didn't tell anybody. She didn't tell the VA caregiver coordinator or her siblings, not even her mom.
2: I feel like I shouldn't talk to anyone about these things. Why? Because talking to a civilian wouldn't be like talking to the Alicia before Matt. So I wouldn't understand.
4: She thought civilians would tell her to take care of herself, get out of this relationship, which she says is exactly the advice she would have given before she met Matt.
2: If someone comes to me and says, I'm married to a veteran, this is what's doing to me, I'll tell her, what are you doing there? Run, Forrest. You know, it's like, why? Why would you let anyone take advantage of you? No, girl, leave. But I felt like Someone in the military with military background will understand.
3: Over the years, I've talked to maybe a dozen military spouses in this sort of situation. Not many want to talk publicly about it. But some have broken the silence.
5: That resonates with me quite a bit.
3: Kayla Williams is the assistant secretary for public affairs at the VA. She's an Iraq vet, so is her husband. And she's written a book about being his caregiver after his brain injury.
5: It was significantly harder to feel like I could share what was happening inside my marriage with civilians who didn't understand.
3: Her husband was abusive, and he could get violent. She was frightened.
5: It's very hard to admit that you may be angry or afraid or frustrated when you're caring for a hero.
3: Was this harder to explain to civilians, like, why, why one would stay?
5: Yeah, all I had to say to other veterans is, you, you, you know, oh, yeah, we were always trained to never leave a fallen comrade behind. You would never leave someone behind on the battlefield, and this is an extension of that. And they're like, oh, yeah, I get that.
3: What look did you get if you said that to a civilian?
5: They look at you like you're crazy.
3: Alicia felt the same way.
2: They won't understand, because they're just civilians. They don't know. They just don't know what a veteran does.
3: But Alicia herself is a civilian.
2: Yes, yes. Um, We family, civilians, don't really know. You know, we're not the ones who were engaged in war and fights and things like that.
3: Alicia had no one to reach out to. She doesn't have comrades. No friends who were veterans except the ones she's met through Matt. And they weren't around anymore. So she's doubly isolated. She's cut off from the civilian world and from the military world. She's in Matt's war. And she's not sure if he's a friend or an enemy.
0: Rough Translation's Homefront, back after this break.
2: The following message comes from NPR sponsor, the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Stanford's new Black Leaders Program is a leadership program unlike any other. Transform your leadership, build community, and explore the complexities of showing up authentically in this unique program for Black leaders. Connect with people who share similar experiences and create a meaningful network to guide you on your leadership journey. This live online program begins August 9th. Visit StanfordBlackLeadersProgram.com to learn more now.
0: Hey, it's Gregory again. Just uh, wanted to remind you not to forget to tell us who you are and what you like and don't like about the show. Go to npr.org slash podcast survey. It's all one word, podcast survey. Takes less than 10 minutes, and we'd appreciate your voice being part of that mix. So that's npr.org slash podcast survey.
3: And Thanks. We're back with Rough Translation's Homefront. I'm Quill Lawrence. When Alicia first moved in with Matt, she imagined a lot of cozy nights spent at home watching movies on the couch, doing homey kind of things. But Matt is restless. He's always taking her on the road, which is stressful because traffic sets him off, and now he's more and more turning that anger against Alicia.
4: One day... They're driving back home to Tucson after a trip to California to visit friends. This is only
2: eight hours drive, but I wasn't that used to driving back then. So it was very tiring. I was in a bad mood. Uh, He was angry already. I just wanted to go home and rest. We
4: were out for a month already. I wanted to go home and just stay home. Matt's hungry, though, so they make one last stop at a Subway sandwich place. It's just across the street from their home.
2: And I usually I don't mind going and get his food, but he was calling me names. Like he asked me to go and get the subway. But he called me names, I think bitch or something like that. So I started complaining. Because in the past I would be kinda quiet. This time I started to talk back. And I was like, You you know what? If you're gonna treat me that way, if you want it, you go and get it. And he was hurt. He was in a lot of pain. So I walk home. I got home and I knew he's going to do something to me. Like, I knew it. So I look around and try to make a backpack, like an emergency backpack with stuff, underwear, socks, you know, something. I grabbed the keys of my car. And then I was like, in case I can run on time, I got a Sharpie and I ran my son's phone number on me with a Sharpie, in case he does something to me so someone will notify my family. So, yeah.
4: You wrote it where? where On my
2: belly, so he wouldn't see it. So I wrote son, and then I put my son's phone number. And then I was packing up my stuff when he walked into the house and started calling me names. So I run to the spare room, he came and um started hitting the doors. The doors are so like thin, you know, it's not like strong doors, like main doors. The room doors are different, so they're very weak. So he knocked the door over. And um and so he kinda jumped on me and he got on top of me. And wait, he had jumped on top of you? How? So he was using his stubbies. And he just jumped. With his stubbies, he's 5'3", and I'm 5'5". And stubbies are his prosthetics? His prosthetic is is a short version of prosthetics with no knees. It's just training legs. Mm -hmm. And so he started choking me, and with his limb, what he has left, he started pushing the other side, and it was like having a piece of wood stuck because it's not a hand, it's just something very sharp, the bone, right, going into it. And you could
4: feel the bone of his limb mm-hmm. right on my neck.
2: It keeps choking me, choking me. I fight it first, but then I got scared. so said, no, if I do something to him, if I hurt him, they're going to take me to jail. If I'm trying to defend myself and I do something to him, I'm going to be in trouble because he's a triple amputee. So people think he's vulnerable. I'm stronger than him because I have advantage. I have legs. I have both arms. He used to threaten me saying that if I call the cops, he's going to change the story and say that I'm the one abusing him and they will believe him, not me. If I do something to him, if I hurt him, they're gonna take me to jail. So I just let go. It's like if he kills me, he kills me. That's it. And um, and start seeing everything dark. And then he noticed that I stopped fighting, so he thought he killed me. So he stopped. And start calling my name. Alicia, Alicia, Alicia. So I heard my name like it far away. And then like more close and close. And when I realized he's yelling at me, he stopped choking me. I just pushed him aside, got up, and, and went to our room. And I locked myself in the closet for a little bit. And, yeah. But it's hard to remember still. Yeah. He came, knocked the door a thousand times. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Only thing I wanted is a sandwich. I am sorry I treated you that way. And I started thinking he's not sorry. He's going to do it again. He's going to do it again. And um, so I opened the door, but I didn't say a word. And he said, forgive me, and this, this, and that. And I'm like, okay, anything else? Anything else? And I was just looking at him. And so many times I went to a room and I just put, locked myself in that room. And every time he needed me, I came out of the room, do what he asked me to do, came back inside the room. It was just, your food is ready, and no love, no compassion, no scared, no
4: nothing, nothing. Oh my God, I made an extra row. (laughs) All this while, Alicia has been knitting her American flag shawl, and she's made an extra row of blue. I'm sorry, (laughs) I feel like I'm distracting you. No, it's okay. (laughs) Alicia says that during this period, She felt empty. She hardly recognized herself. Life had gone so differently than she'd expected when she moved in with Matt. She didn't know who he was to her anymore, or what she meant to him. Except, she was his caregiver. She could still be that. She'd open his water bottles, drive him to his doctor's appointments, clip his nails, and then go back to her room. And knit. So... He noticed that I was different.
2: And then one day, he asked me what was going on and if I was planning to leave him. And I say, well, I've been thinking about it. You're not the same person I married, and you're supposed to protect me. You're su- supposed to love me, and you're not doing any of that. And um, he apologized again, and then I told him, what would you do if something does that to your girls? You have three daughters. And then his answer was, well, I'll ask him if their spouse is a, is a veteran. Like if there's a, just some justifying, you know, if it's a veteran, then um, it's okay. And I said, no, it's not okay. I said, there's not excuses. It was like I figure I need to make a plan to leave.
4: But making a plan to leave was not easy.
2: At that point, I didn't have a job anymore because I was his caregiver only. I didn't have any income. I don't have family in Tucson. I don't have a place to go. So I just feel trapped, completely trapped.
0: Every three months, when Alicia's caregiver coordinator would call for their seasonal check in and ask the same survey questions Do you feel safe? Are you taking care of yourself? Do you have any immediate goals? What are the veterans' short-term goals? Alicia would answer as best she could, stopping short of the abuse. She'd talk about Matt's anger, his compulsions, his triggers, and his need for control, but not about the violence directed at her. She knew that the things he'd done to her were bad enough that if the VA found out about them, they might decide to kick her off the caregiver program for her own protection. At which point Matt would be a danger to himself, and she wouldn't be there to protect him. And so she felt trapped by her sense of duty and by the role that the VA had given her. And it turns out the VA knew all about that trap.
4: Everybody thinks that, oh, you're in the hands of the VA, you're going to be well taken care of. (laughs) I beg to differ to the T.
0: That's next time on Homefront. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic abuse or has thoughts of self-harm, here are some resources for you. The National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-7233 or thehotline.org. The National Suicide Prevention Line is 800-273-8255. Today's episode was produced by Jess Jang. Our editor is Lou Okowski. The Rough Translation team includes Luis Treas, Matt Ozug, and Justine Yan. Our new intern is Alicia Chan. The Rough Translation executive team is Neil Carruth, Didi Skankin, Anya Grundman. Special thanks to Chris Turpin and Vicky Walton James. Nicole Beemsterbor is our senior supervising producer. Bryn Winterbottom, fact checked this episode. Mastering by Isaac Rodriguez. Retired Army Captain Kimo Williams composed Homefront's theme song. Additional music from John Ellis. I'm Gregory Warner, back next week with more Homefront from Rough Translation.